You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. There's nothing quite like Oxford, Mississippi in the spring. Ole Miss baseball is in full swing. Double-decker, spring football practices, the Grove Bowl. You ride around in your car looking at the beautiful people, the flowers. Why not experience that in a new car? Truck. How about a Jeep? Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford is the only place to go for your next perfect car, truck, or Jeep. They'll work with you to ensure you get the car you want at a price point you can afford. All you've got to do is go visit Brian, Mason, and the crew and let them take care of you through the easiest, most seamless car buying process around. How can they best serve you? To take advantage of any one or more of the services Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford provides, be sure to contact them today at 662-638-0044. Or stop by and see them in person at 2201 East University Avenue. That's just past Kroger. Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford. Let's be friends. You're listening to Talk of Champions, an Ole Miss Spirit podcast with Ben Garrett. It's up, it's up, it's up, it's up, it's up. Back again, this is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Ben on Twitter. He's Colin Brister at Colin Brister in the co host chair. Today's guest on Talk of Champions is Lane Kiffin, Ole Miss head football coach. You've been waiting for him, and he's here. But Colin, first, what's up, man? How you doing? Not much. Not much. I'm doing good. It's uh, it's been uh, it's been pretty fun around Oxford. Yeah, baseball starting this weekend, and on Tuesday night, you know, Ole Miss beats Mississippi State by like I don't know 25 points or so. So it's been kind of fun around Oxford for the first time in a while. Yes, it has. And Ole Miss basketball coming alive at the right time has made it more enjoyable around these parts. Ole Miss basketball, this is when people most of the time tune in. Now, Ole Miss basketball fans have been better since Kermit Davis got here. But this is really when the bulk, the majority, tunes in. Perfect timing, because Ole Miss basketball is actually playing pretty well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you look at the the three-game homestand, and you're like, oh, they won three games, but they kicked the crap out of all three teams. Yeah, they won every single game by double-digit points. Right, and that's with at least two NCAA tournament teams right now. I think State and Florida are probably bubble teams, but, I mean, it wasn't like they were playing the dregs of the SEC. So, uh, pretty impressive homestand from them. And, you know, look, there were 
we'll get into postseason stuff here in a second, and that's fine. But a lot of credit goes to those kids, man, because you start this thing one and seven. I think they were, yeah, one and seven, and could have been real easy to lay down, and uh, they didn't. And and not only did they not lay down, they they got better um, and continue to play hard, and, and that's what you want to see. Your prize signee has been suspended. You have the worst start in SEC play, one and seven, since 1994-95. They had the looks of a team that was about to implode, and they didn't. And you're right, that's a credit to the players, also to Kermit Davis. They beat three straight top 100 teams. First time they've done that since 2013, the year that they went to the SEC tournament and made the magical run, went to the NCAA tournament, beat Wisconsin. Of course, Ole Miss stood up and didn't beat LaSalle to go to the Sweet 16, but that was the year. So this Ole Miss team is doing something that historically it hasn't typically done. And we talked about the struggles that had dated back to last year. But now, and I know when you look at the record, it ain't pretty. 13-11, and 4-7. and seven. But when you put it into context, it's actually a pretty strong resume being built. Now, they have to continue to go down this road. Oh, yeah. Of course they do. But they're starting to string some things together to where you can see the path. Just beating Mississippi State moved them from 92nd in the net rankings, or 93rd, to 82nd. If they go to Kentucky, the second highest ranked team in the SEC in the net, and get a win, they never beat Kentucky and Rupp. They're not going to. But if they did, this talk gets really serious. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny. We, we talk about, you know, uh, they never beat Kentucky and Rupp. And, and a few things on that is Kentucky, this Kentucky team is not unbeatable. They were down nine at halftime to Vanderbilt um, on Tuesday night. So, you know, I, I think, look, do I think Ole Miss wins on Saturday? I don't. I hope I'm wrong. But um, I, I think that they go in there and give Kentucky all they want for about 35 minutes and then tail off at the end. But we have to talk like this, right? If we're going to talk about the NCAA tournament, like you can't just say, oh, well, they're going to go to Kentucky and lose. They're going to go to Auburn and lose. Like, no, at some point, Ole Miss has to go on the road and beat a Kentucky or beat an Auburn and win in Starkville. Um, They've dug themselves a little bit of a hole that they've got to get out of. And there's opportunities there. Um, that's the that's the way you kind of got to look at this if you're an Ole Miss fan is is there are opportunities to to get signature wins on your resume to go along with Penn State um, and, and like a Florida. But you got to take advantage of them no matter how unlikely it is. You've got to go to an Auburn or a Kentucky and win if you, if you want to actually get serious about this conversation. It wasn't a little bit of a hole. It was a near yeah. insurmountable hole. I was mistaken. They were 92nd in the net. They moved up to 81. I didn't even get my own stat from the story I wrote correct on this podcast. It's been a long couple of days. I'm tired, so forgive (laughs) me for this. And I got Lane Kiffin coming up in a minute, so, you know, forgive me. Um, But I was looking at some things, and one thing stuck out, too. You mentioned winning on the road. They're 1-6 in in true road games. Four out of their last seven games are on the road. And true road games mean take out the neutral site games when you go to Brooklyn and play in a tournament. When they've gone to someone else's house, they've lost six times out of seven. That is not good. That means that if you really want to make this serious, you have to go win at Rupp. You have to go win at Auburn. Not necessarily both of them, but if you get right. one and close this thing out to where you go to Nashville with a 500 SEC record, you got a real chance. That sure. means you won five of your last seven games, and that probably means that once you go to the SEC tournament, if you win two... You're in. The bubble is not particularly strong. It hasn't been strong for the last three years. And I think the NCAA selection committee, those that factor in the net rankings, want to give the SEC five, six bids. That was the whole reasoning behind getting away from the RPI and all that kind of stuff. 
going back to the early 2000s when they were rewarding the big Power Five teams and getting as many in as possible. The the net is has really changed things. You look at last year, and uh, you know this isn't a slight at that team, but uh, their resume looked mighty similar to a lot of Andy Kennedy's resumes over over time. But the net was the evaluation tool instead of the RPI. Um, and the Nets kind of they're saving grace this year, right? Because I, their RPIs in the hundreds, if I if I'm not mistaken, and again RPIs are relevant. But yeah, it's it's an interesting case uh, case study because if this team goes to Auburn and wins and then finishes out in Starkville with a win, man, this this net gets into the 60s. Now here's the thing, I don't think Ole Miss can lose at home again, right? Because you got Missouri at home, Alabama at home, and Vanderbilt at home. You lose any of those three games, and, and you, the, the path to the tournament is very simple. It's to go win the tournament in Nashville. Yes, uh, yes. Because that's going to crater your net. I think if we want to get serious about this this conversation, uh, they got to win all three at home. They got to win at Missouri, and they got to figure out a way to win in Rupp, in Auburn, or in the hump to end the season and go to Nashville at 9-9, nine and nine, like you said. Right. If you lose at Rupp, you have to go win at Auburn and probably at the hump at Starkville against Mississippi State. Before we really get going here on Talk of Champions, let me tell you briefly about Impact by Ironwood and Sola, two proud sponsors of Talk of Champions. Business owners, did you know you can support Ole Miss Athletics every time you accept a debit or credit card payment? That's right, Impact by Ironwood offers the best debit and credit card payments processing tools around, and they'll donate a portion of their profits to the Ole Miss Athletics Foundation in your name. The best part is you don't have to spend an extra dime to get exclusive member benefits earn donor priority points, and support your Ole Miss Rebels. To learn more, call 1-833-GO-TEAMS. That's 1-833-GO-TEAMS. Or go to www.impactolemiss.com. Make a difference. Make an impact. So a few years ago, a multi-generation Ole Miss family set out to do something a little different in the world-renowned Oxford culinary community. They wanted to bring a true wine bar to the square. Upon opening the wine bar in 2013, they discovered they had one of the Southeast's best young chefs in Erica Leip. Fascinated by diverse cultures and tastes, Erica proved herself to be a true visionary when pairing food and drink, constantly discovering new pairings, and creating seasonal offerings that took the classics everyone loves and twisting them up a notch to create something truly unique. Fast forward to 2019, the family felt that their food offerings were being undervalued and decided to lean on Erica's incredible culinary talents and rebrand the wine bar into one of the best restaurants in the Southeast. Enter Sola, bringing to you unique cuisine and lifted spirits. Come as you are, enjoy creative dishes and distinctive drinks as served by Erica and her team of food and beverage enthusiasts, skillfully combining ingredients from local purveyors with classic cooking techniques from all over the world. Simply put, Sola is the best restaurant in Oxford. So check them out. The website is solaoxford.com or give them a call at 662-238-3500. Also remember to follow them on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, using the at MS on all platforms. Sola in Oxford on the Oxford Square. You have four top 100 opponents remaining. You need to split those and then win the other ones that are outside of the top 100, and that's the 5-2 and two that gets you to 500 in the league going into Nashville. Only two wins, maybe even one, depending on the one, gets you into the NCAA tournament. Yeah. And another thing you have to remember, right now, Ole Miss is one of nine teams in the SEC within three games of each other. <laughs> That's what this three-game winning streak has done. The SEC has been, I don't want to say underwhelming. That doesn't feel like the right word. But it hasn't been what it was certainly last year. And this Ole Miss team has been there. If Ole Miss had won just one of the three games they blew, 
Auburn, LSU, Arkansas. Pick one. Just one. They're probably one of the first four out. That was Mississippi State Tuesday night. Florida, even with only being five games over 500 overall, an 11 seed in the most recently released bracketology of Joe Lenardi. So the bubble, as it has been for the hand, last handful of years, is soft. You know, it's an interesting thing. I was talking to a friend, and look, the odds of this aren't high, but there's going to be 14 teams go to Nashville in, in a few weeks, and you can convince me that about eight of them can win that thing because there's just not – like. I don't think there's a team in this league that's just that much better than all the other teams. Now, look, Vanderbilt's at the bottom end of the totem pole. Um, Auburn and, and LSU and Kentucky are at the top. I'm not saying those teams are close. But you really want to tell me a, a one-seed Auburn is that much better than maybe a nine-seed Ole Miss or Mississippi State? I don't really buy that. So I think we've got a chance, no matter what happens, for, for chaos to ensue in Nashville in a few weeks. The problem with Ole Miss is when do you start play? Because no team – that plays on day one is ever coming out as the winner in the SEC tournament. It's no. just not built that way. You can't do it. And if we're talking about Ole Miss, I worry because they're playing seven dudes. So when you get into that second and third day, like what, what does your team look like? Because Kermit has just absolutely decided he's got seven guys. No, he's got, he's got eight. He's got eight. Okay. Well, Bryce and uh, Austin Crowley didn't play a ton last, or Tuesday night. I mean, so, you know, it feels like that the, he's, he's playing his dudes right now. Well, he's riding Brian Tyree. But more in the numbers, Ole Miss's remaining opponents, Auburn and Kentucky are safely in the projected field as high seeds. Alabama is number 40 in the net. They're not in the current NCAA projected field, but they're number 40 in the net. So that's a quad one win for you. Only four times since 2007 has Ole Miss not participated in either the NCAA tournament or NIT. You brought up the criteria of the net, and Andy Kennedy had it played into his career. He'd had at least three more appearances. I looked back yeah. at the season by season. 2009-10, went to the NIT. Um, that's when they had the electric game to Tirico in leading Ole Miss over Memphis. 24-11, they're firmly in. They're probably a 7, maybe a 6 in the new net ranking system. In yeah. 2013, when they won the SEC Tournament Championship, they won 27 games. 27. But because of RPI and losing to teams like a Mississippi State and Starkville, that was horrible. And I grant you, it was a horrible, horrible loss. It was a terrible team they lost to. They were a 12 seed with 27 wins as a Ooh. power five school. Ooh, here's a fun topic. More volatile team, that 2013 basketball team or the 2015 football team? Hmm. They were both crazy. It's hard to put that one into perspective. 2013 basketball was such a roller coaster. In January, it looked good. They were going. Oh, man. February. Oh, God, it's happening again. Go to the SEC tournament. Ross Bjork's got a list. Andy Kennedy, if he loses, everyone expected it to happen. It's done. Because they were playing a tough Missouri team. Mm-hmm. And should have lost. Yeah. I mean, they beat one of the best teams in the country in Florida that year in the tournament. Yes, they and did. And fell behind by down. double digits at halftime. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. They were down double digits to Missouri, if I'm not mistaken. Derek I mean, it... Millinghouse hit that floater. <laughs> but then they win uh... that tournament – Go to the NCAA tournament. Marshall sets it off against Wisconsin. They beat the crap out of Wisconsin. And then you're riding high again thinking, oh, God, this is the team. This is the one, right? And what happens? They lose to LaSalle. Yeah. People forget about that SEC tournament, too, that they lost their starting point guard like four minutes in the first game. Yep. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jarvis was not available. Um, other seasons in 2007-08, 24 wins, 11 losses. That's an NCAA that's the, tournament team. That's the Dave Bliss year. Yeah. Yeah, they were Georgia. seven and nine in the SEC, but that seven and nine gets you in the tournament this year. Yeah, and man, if they'd have beat Georgia that night, golly. Yeah, boy. So two times he won twenty four games and didn't make the tournament, and when he won twenty seven games, they were a twelve seed. Yeah, yeah. Andy Kennedy would have loved to have this criteria. Make no mistake, he'd still be the head coach of Ole Miss basketball, but Kermit Davis well, is the head coach of Ole Miss basketball. He's taken advantage of it. He took a roster that couldn't win anything the year before he arrived, took him in the NCAA tournament. This team, man, had they just failed to meet expectations. Ole Miss fans were down in the dumps. There was no program momentum. We were asking questions about the future, and then you win three straight. But I don't want people to go, oh, say, I told you, Ben. I told you. We knew this was going to happen. What are you going to say now? They've won three in a row. They haven't beaten three straight top 100 teams since 2013. They had to do something they haven't done in seven years <laughs> to get back into this position. And credit them, they, they've done it. Absolutely. And we all thought that this team had this kind of potential. It's not like this is new. You've seen it in flashes, and that's what made them so frustrating. Yeah, you're exactly right. That That's a good way to put it. It's You knew they should have been playing like this a month ago. And for whatever reason, they couldn't finish it off. We talked about the road struggles. The road struggles go deeper than them just not winning. They don't compete on the road outside of they won at Georgia and they lost by one at Memphis. They get slaughtered on the road, not in ball games. I think they've lost three SEC games on the road by double digits, maybe four. I'm not sure. And they were so, getting their tail kicked against Memphis, and they battled back to their credit. Right. They were getting whipped at Memphis. Yeah. So, I mean, they, there's not much, you know, credence. To and Memphis has proven that they're not very good. They suck. But that's another story for another day. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they're going to have to overcome some demons if they want to they want to have some success on the road outside of the uh, one game at Georgia, which I guess was their last road game. No, LSU was. But maybe the Georgia game gives you a little bit of confidence going into Rupp, but I don't know how much it does. Well, it was like the LSU game in Baton Rouge. Yeah, they only lost by 10, but if you watch that game, if you just look at the box score, oh, that's respectable. Yeah. If you actually watch the game, it was an ass whipping. It was bad. It was really bad. Yeah. Speaking of Memphis, here's a fun little story for you. So last year, Kermit Davis's first year, Penny Hardaway already getting some pushback at Memphis. He was going through back channels, feeling out Ole Miss already, saying basically, hey, if this turns sideways in a couple of years, remember me. <laughs> I know that for a fact. He's thirsty for Ole Miss. Here's the thing. Well, I think he really wanted the job, and I, I was wrong on that. I didn't think Ole Miss was all that serious, but I knew that they interviewed him because every party involved told me that. They did interview him. They liked him a lot. He wanted the job. He was wanting Memphis. He knew Memphis was going to come open, but if Memphis had not come open, it could have gotten really serious with Ole Miss. I think Kermit absolutely floored Ole Miss compared to Penny. But say Kermit had decided to wait. Yeah, Penny Hardaway probably would have been the number two guy because Mike White wasn't going to really engage with Ole Miss until Florida's season was over. That would have been an interesting scenario because I think, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, if Ole Miss wanted to wait out Mike White, I think Mike White would have been the coach at Ole Miss, but it would have been a discussion of, of whether they wanted to wait that out or not. And I, They didn't I want to wait that out. That's why Mike yeah. White isn't the head coach of Ole Miss basketball. <laughs> Mike wanted a contract reset. And you're seeing what the pushback he's getting at Florida right now. Not to say yeah. that a lot of it isn't warranted. 
quite frankly, it is. Yeah, Mike's got to do a better job. That's something on him. But Kermit Davis was their number one candidate, already a top five candidate when they started the rounds of interviews. And once they interviewed him, they knew they were done. It was done. Yeah. Kermit absolutely killed it in the interview. And Ole Miss got his basketball coach. And Ole Miss would not trade him for either one of those guys right now. Oh, absolutely not. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I watched some of the post game. and I just, It's just you funny know. how those things play out. That's why I brought it up. Oh, when you yeah, think yeah, about sure. When you look at the path with Penny now and then Mike and what he's dealing with at Florida and Kermit having the success. I know this year it's been what it's been. They're on a nice run, but let's keep it in perspective. It's just interesting to see how all those things happen. And, you know, Tom Crean basically putting out feelers to a number of different Big wigs at Ole Miss, let's call them that. <laughs> Effectively saying, eh, can you really win at Ole Miss? And then talking to some coaches in the college basketball community saying, what do you think about the Ole Miss job? What do you really think you can do there? And he said, basically, eh, I'm not going there. I'm not going to Ole Miss. He knew that Georgia was probably coming open, and he didn't want to wait um, for Ole Miss. And if Georgia didn't come open, whatever, he'd wait another year. There was no <laughs> rush for Tom Crane. And then you look at where those guys are now, and Tom Crean really isn't setting the world on fire at Georgia. Got one of the best players in the country, and Georgia's not very good. Penny is a disaster right now. <laughs> we all knew that was probably going to happen. Not him blowing up. We all up, knew it had a chance, yeah, right? I never expected it to go really bad. I, I'm just saying that you knew when they made that hire, it's either going to go really well or really bad. There was going to be no in-between there. Yeah. None. See, with Kermit, of all the candidates they interviewed or were interested in, he by far had the highest floor. And I don't think you want to hire guys based on floor, but if you're Ole Miss and you're used to at least a certain level of success or consistency with your basketball program, which you haven't had historically ever, having that high floor and knowing this guy is going to be hungry and has been waiting for this opportunity, this is what he's told me is his last job. The ceiling was going to be as high, if not higher, than even some of those guys like a penny. Not necessarily a penny, but you get what I'm saying. Right. So it's just fun no. to think about how all those things could have happened. Like, what if Penny takes Ole Miss? Who goes to Memphis? What if Mike decides, you know what? I'm not going to wait till Florida season's over. Ole Miss, I'm in. Does it change? (laughs) What does this year look like? What is recruiting like? Yeah, I didn't know. It certainly is interesting. I mean, the way everything played out, Penny obviously was interested in the Ole Miss job, but wound up taking Memphis. So I was just going to say on Kermit, it looks like he, you can correct me if I'm wrong, you follow him a lot closer than I do. But it does feel like that he is enjoying this a lot more. That it feels like he's finally getting his team to play like he wants them to. Because man, he looked miserable over that one and seven stretch, as he probably should have. And he looks like he's enjoying coaching this team. Whereas I don't think that was necessarily the case for two months. I'd agree with that. They're defending at a really high yes. level. They're really defending. Hey, and, credit to Duke Cole. Yeah, Duke, oh, Duke zero okay. shots in twenty eight minutes. You gave him credit on Tuesday. Yeah, zero shots in twenty eight minutes, and the guy impacted the game. That's hard to do. He was plus twenty eight. Yeah, pretty good without taking a shot. He's impacting the box score. Hadim C is impacting the box score, but also his contributions extend beyond that. Everyone wants to talk about how good Brian was, and he was. He was awesome, unstoppable. I've never seen an offensive player or been in the stands and witnessed it firsthand, an offensive player in college, do what Brian did. Now, granted, I don't go to a bunch of college basketball games. Right. But I've never seen that. Because he wasn't just settling for threes. He wasn't that efficient from three. He was driving and driving and driving to get to his 40. Right. But the reason he was able to drive is because Hadim sees rolling up to the top of the perimeter and stoning guys. Like that Weatherspoon (laughs) kid from Mississippi State, he's awful. 
<laughs> and I don't mean to be mean or whatever. And I think some state fans that listen to this will certainly be like, oh, there goes Ben. No, like I love Reggie Perry. Reggie Perry is awesome. He's an Word's SEC player, player of the year candidate. He's awesome. Yeah. Ben Howland is a terrible in-game coach, but I don't want to go down that road. Witherspoon is awful. Awful. He was minus 36 Tuesday night. You know, it takes a special kind of incompetence to be negative 36. Jeez. He yeah. played 38 minutes, and I don't think he scored. No, and he fouled out. It takes a special kind of incompetence. Brian Tyree put him in a spin cycle, and Hadim C, poor kid, he just ran into a brick wall over and over, and it was painful. There's no excuse for that Mississippi State team not no. to be among the best in the conference. Yeah, that Ben Holland's horrible. I was just say I don't care. Ben Holland's not a good basketball coach. Yeah, it's just still just a weird fit. It's a weird, weird yeah. fit. But I, I don't yeah. want to get into Ben Holland, Mississippi State. Ole Miss basketball's won three straight. They made it interesting. If they yeah. win in Rupp, man, this talk gets serious. If they win at Auburn, this talk gets serious. Even losing at Rupp, there's still a path. Absolutely. But holy crap. You expedite your process if you win and rub. Not an unbeatable Kentucky team. I'll just say that. We it's always Anthony- say that about Kentucky teams when no, it just goes no, in. No, we, no, we don't about like the Anthony Davis teams or the Carl Anthony Towns teams. Yeah. But whenever we try to say a particular Kentucky team is beatable in Rupp, almost always goes and gets his ass kicked because it just doesn't win in Rupp Arena. I get what you're saying, but they also took Kentucky to double overtime in 2015. Like they, they played some games there with. Oh in it. man, that's right. Was that the Jalon Kendrick game or the Chris? Warren no, game? that was the Moody where he caught cramps in overtime, or they would have won the game. Oh, that's right. Jalon Kendrick, though, that's a name in it. That's the uh, that's the Kentucky team that was undefeated until the Final Four, too. Holy cow! Yeah, I mean, Moody cramped off in the last two minutes or Ole Miss is going to win that basketball game. Well, Stephen Moody was the entire team. Yeah, because Jarvis couldn't score that year. Poor guy. Yeah. Ole Miss has had one McDonald's All-American, Jalon Kendrick. Transfer. <laughs> hey, remember, that time, remember that time he, he like got a fight and went and watched the game in the student section? Oh, my God, yeah. That I remember time. one time Ole Miss started a game and no one knew where Jalan was. And then he just came walking in in street clothes and sat at the end of the bench. Oh, God. My favorite story of all those Andy Kennedy teams, me and Emily had just gotten married. It's 2010. Yeah, because this is our 10-year anniversary. We just gotten married. I'm covering basketball and basketball season. And I'm sitting at home in our first house. And uh, my phone rings late, late at night. And on the other end is Andy Kennedy. Hello? You will not believe what this mother did. I'm like, uh, what, 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 man? And he told me about Dundrikus Nelson. <laughs> and I break this news, but I had to uh, soften it a little bit because of the way Andy described it to me, which was hilarious. Basically that Dundrikus, who's a good kid. I mean, he did some dumb stuff. We all did dumb stuff in college. I feel like I have to say these qualifiers so that people won't think I'm being disrespectful or something to the kid. Sure. Good kid, blah, 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 blah. Anyway. He's high off his ass, <laughs> and um, he's in his apartment. The police show up. He won't answer the door, but he did answer the door for the pizza delivery man with the police standing right behind the pizza delivery man. Man, they ah. say the uh, the weed will uh, make you hungry. Yeah, I guess he just forgot the cops were out there. I mean, they just waited. 
<laughs> guy walks up with a pizza. Like, hey guys, what's going on? Knocks on the door, Dudrick. Oh, pizza's here. Because oh, he like stunk up University Trails, if I remember correctly, and the cops had shown up. Oh, oh God. Uh, that was the same house in the same year of Floyd Raven. <laughs> Holy cow. <sighs> this is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Ben on Twitter. He's Colin Brister at Colin Brister. If you haven't already, subscribe, rate, review Talk of Champions in iTunes. And when you do, doesn't matter what you say, as long as it's five stars. Spotify, SoundCloud, I write for the Ole Miss Spirit, OleMissSpirit.com, and affiliate of 247 Sports. It's time to go to the Modern Woodman phone line to speak to Ole Miss football coach, first-year head football coach, Lane Kiffin. But before we do, let's hear from Modern Woodman in BNA Bank. You've walked this path many times before. It's a chance to think, especially about your future. How will you turn your retirement dreams into reality? Will you have enough gold for your golden years? Your choices for building funds for retirement can be complicated. Fortunately, you have a friend in the community who can help you make the right decisions. That's your Modern Woodman agent. Your agent is a skilled professional who will listen to your needs and desires and then work with you to create a plan that uses the right financial products to achieve your retirement goals. Build a lasting professional relationship with a trusted financial advisor. Hi, this is Thomas Chandler, your local Modern Woodman representative. Give me a call today at 662-296-0186. Let's make a difference together. Hotty toddy and go Rebs. Get in touch with your agent today. Modern Woodman of America. Touching lives. Securing futures. Reason number 12 to bank at BNA. We are the bank for Northeast Mississippi. We have one home, Northeast Mississippi. Seeing this local Northeast Mississippi economy thrive and helping the people of our area with their borrowing needs is our only focus. From buying a home to starting your own business, we are the team of local lenders standing ready to make your dreams a reality. BNA Bank. We are the bank of Northeast Mississippi. Member FDIC. An equal housing lender. The Modern Woodman Phone Line. Cool, we'll talk. No big whoop. No big whoop. Where the best Ole Miss guests from far and wide drop in to talk the very latest in Rebel Sports. Modern Woodman, let's make a difference together. Joining me now on the Modern Woodman Phone Line is Ole Miss head football coach Lane Kiffin. Lane's been on the job now for some three months. He's been busy. Recently wrapped the 2020 recruiting class, spring football practices around the corner. Lane, thanks for coming on, man. How you doing? Good. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for doing this. Recruiting, staff assembly, it's all behind you. Are you finally settling in here in Oxford? I am. Um, a little bit, I guess. Uh, you know, like you said, we had to hit the ground running. and That early signing period really is a – I think it's good in a lot of ways for college football. It's not good for a first-year staff because – you got you know one two three weeks whatever it is to try to get kids to change their mind and come. That's that's not easy to do nowadays. Where before we used to have all the way till February to do it. Well, I mentioned recruiting, so let's start there. Looking at the returning roster, what you guys were able to piece together for the 2020 class. What do you think is the roster's most pressing need or needs? I think probably the little I know now, just from watching. You know, we haven't obviously practiced with the kids yet, and so. We haven't seen them in our system, so. Um, but defensively, and um, you know, there's not a lot of depth at corner. It looks like in the defensive line. Well, was there a particular need you felt you guys met in the spring period that you're possibly most excited about? Um, 
Yeah, I don't know that as a group, really. You know, I mean, there's some good kids, um, you know, at different spots and things. Um, you know, we're still recruiting some as well. Uh, so uh, I, I think it's too early to say that. Well, a lot will be made of the quarterback battle in the spring. What have you seen on film, if anything, from Matt Corral, John Rice Plumley, heck, Grant Tisdale, and Kincaid Dent? Um, again, you know, we we haven't been able to practice with them yet. We went out, you know, yesterday for the first time, um, you know, to see them running around in some drills and things like that. So, you know, it's too early to tell that. Um, you know, there, there was, you know, a lot of success with some freshmen offensively last year, um, you know, with the quarterbacks and the running backs. So um, that's exciting. What are your ideal traits in a quarterback? Timing, accuracy, and decision-making, um, you know, have really been three things to really focus on and evaluation of them. Um, but, you know, probably nowadays added in a little more the ability to um, really get rid of the ball really quick with really good hands um, because so much of the RPO game now is catch and read and throw, you know, um, and the ability to change different arm angles because you, know, you got to work around, around zone players, you know, to throw those things in there. It's kind of a simple question, or at least from a layman's perspective, but how do you balance if one quarterback is a better passer and then another is a better runner and can extend plays but is a developmental thrower, how do you balance that? I've always said you've got to work your system to the quarterback, you know, not just plug the quarterback in and call the same plays. And so um, I think we've done a good job of that, you know, different places we've been in the last six seasons. You know, we've won five conference championships with five different quarterbacks. You know, that's kind of unheard of. So um, I think that is, you know, because of our ability to, you know, go from a Blake Sims to Jake Coker, completely different quarterbacks and, and still move the ball well, you know, by moving our system around them. Well, you got an embarrassment of riches in the running back room. What's your philosophy on how carries get split up when you've got multiple high-quality backs? Well, it all depends. Um, you know, we've you know, and I guess in back-to-back seasons, I think, you know, from Alabama, or no, Derrick Henry's year at Alabama, you know, where he, he carries the ball more than anyone in the history of the SEC ever. And then Devin Singletary, um, two years later in our first year at FAU, um, led the country, not just in touchdowns, but in carries also, you know, for five, eight guys. So, um it's not always balanced. It's not little league, you know, where everybody touches the ball equal. So, <laughs> I, you know, <laughs> but at the same time, if, you know, we've had balance where guys are different and, and then they've really split the load, whether that was Reggie Bush and Lindell White or Derrick Henry the year before with Kenyon Drake. Well, Plumley and Jerry Ely are both with Ole Miss baseball this spring. You knew I was going to ask you this because I've talked to Mike Bianco about it a number of times. He said y'all met in December, mapped out an early plan for those guys. But from your side of it, how do you anticipate their participation in baseball influencing their ability to pick up a new offense, which starts in the spring, and then for them to earn an opportunity to start? I know this is probably different than most coaches, but um, I I like when kids play two sports, you know, like they used to um, a lot more. And so it keeps them competitive, different types of movement. So I told them baseball's first, you know. Whatever they need, they're over there. They're doing everything. And if they have any time left, um, you know, they're they're over here. And then also, you know, for them to look at it once they get going. And you know, if one of them's maybe not playing very much, then maybe they do come back over. So you know, it'll it'll all depend on on what's going on with their season. 
So how are you going to handle spring football? What's the practice schedule going to be like whenever y'all do open practices? We practice Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday for five weeks in a row. So, you know, I know a lot of people do Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday. I just think you get better quality Saturdays this way. There's a day off in between every practice. Um, you know, in the old format, you know, it'd be Friday afternoon and all of a sudden, you know, Saturday noon scrimmage. And, you know, that's a really hard turnaround on their body. So I think that this is this is better for their health and better for, to evaluate it this way. What's your philosophy on strength and conditioning, and what does Wilson Love bring to the table that made him your guy to handle all that? Wilson's really like the head coach down there, and so I've always said, you know, strength coaches, strength coaches, and you know, a general manager type role are very undervalued, in my opinion, because you know, if you look at the NFL, what do they have? They all, all have general managers, and the ones that don't, it usually doesn't work when they don't, and so. Um, and then on the strength coach, you know, he has the kids more than, than we have them. So, you know, is your strength coach not as important as your outside linebacker coach that in a lot of places makes three times three times more than the strength coach? So um, I've always, you know, we've, um, you know, we've always paid that spot well. And, and FAU, he was one of the first guys we brought. He was the number two guy at Alabama, so he knew what they did. And so um, he's just unbelievable with the kids. That's what I was thinking to say. You saw pretty early that Wilson was a rising star there because you were with him in Alabama. Um, how has he grown, do you think, in terms of growing into that role? Well, I think that, you know, when you look at things, you know, try to try to not worry as much about experience or resumes and find the right people, you know, whether that was Wilson, you know, probably being the youngest guy in the country, I bet, you know, when we hired him three years ago. And Charlie Weiss, I think, was the youngest coordinator, you know, in college football. So, um, just try to find these guys that think are going to be really special and and um, not worry that they don't have, you know, the resumes and, and things that some of these other guys do. And, and then they're also, you know, you're able to train them really well because, you know, they're not stuck in their ways. Wilson's one of the first guys you brought over as you started to assemble your staff. You finished off your staff towards the end of January. Whenever you're considering potential hires, what do you value most? Recruiting, coaching, what was the hook for hiring the guys you did? Well, I think you've got to, recruiting's got to be way up there, you know, in the, anywhere, but especially in the SEC. I mean, you don't have a chance if you don't recruit. So I don't care how how cool a place you got, it won't matter. So I think that the recipe for success to me is to get, you know, two great coordinators, um, you know, which I think that we have that have done, you know, done great things on offense and defense, great schemes, and then surround them with good coaches, but priority on, on great recruiters you know, so that the assistants can go get the talent, but you also, but you've got a great system in place, you know, from a schematical standpoint. Well, what made DJ Durkin the right guy to be a co-DC with Chris? I mean, what was the reason why you felt like it was the time to give him another shot? Well, I think, you know, first off, they'd worked together before, so that made that the co-part easy on that, them working together and wanting to run the same system. And we just really researched it and, and talked to a lot of people, whether it was former players, um, administrators, coaches, um, I mean, it was overwhelming. It wasn't even, like, mixed, you know, where, like, oh, it was 80% good. I mean, people just absolutely, you know, raved about him and players and, and you know, obviously a horrible, unfortunate incident, um, you know, but all the people we talked to, all the research, you know, really showed, um, even from the school there, that, you know, he, he, he had no part of it. Yeah, because when you're vetting candidates, 
just whenever you're going through that process. I don't think fans quite understand all the work that goes into it. This is not like you're making hires just going out there willy-nilly doing it. I mean, that takes a long time, and that's why you wanted to really take your time with it, right? Yeah, and you and you want to be patient. You know, you try to do it too fast, and then all of a sudden, a week later, someone comes available. You say, man, if I would have waited, this guy would have been a lot better, you know. And so, um, you know, to really have patience in the process because you don't know who's going to be released at different places, who's going to come available. And now these contracts, you know, so many of these guys, you can't just go get guys like you used to because these buyouts have a lot of these guys impossible, basically, to go get. From a facility standpoint, locker room, recruiting areas, et cetera, is there anything you want to add or change? They asked me about that. You know, they're up for a locker room, I think, first, and then weight room, and I said I'd do it the other way around, in my opinion. I think that, you know, you change clothes in the locker room. You know, in the weight room, you get, you get better for all your students. So... I've I've always thought, you know, having, you know, expanding the weight room and having enough room, enough equipment for everybody to get better, including other sports, you know, is a lot more important than, you know, having air conditioning in your, you know, for your tennis shoes in your locker. <laughs> what was your initial impressions of the facilities at Ole Miss when you first arrived? Um, I, I think that, you know, really good. Um, you know, um, some areas for improvement, which, you know, they mentioned right away and so um you know so in the process of working on that as far as your assessment of all field analysts what do you think about the value they bring how do you view them and in terms of your overall structure as a program what role do they play what can they play well they're big Uh, you know there's two ways to do it we hire more you know younger guys for the most part that you know we view as okay hey they're really good at this and then, you know, we're grooming them to become coaches and, and help them move on. You know, some other some other places do it differently. They hire, you know, former head coaches and stuff like that in those roles. And so, which is which is great. Um, we, we just do it a little different here. You know, we're, we're not looking for, you know, a bunch of head coaches, you know, that are still getting paid somewhere else. You know, we're, we're looking more for young, you know, hungry guys that, you know, want to, want to move up and that we can help we can help in this profession is it tough coming in and transitioning to your system when the previous system under rich rod and not to take anything away from rich rod they actually had a lot of um gaudy numbers in that system but it was a run heavy different type of philosophy as compared to what you traditionally have ran over the last handful of years is it tough though to transition to that when it's the roster's been recruited to a particular system and all that kind of stuff um i don't think it's that tough you know because you not like he was here for four years or something so i don't think they really necessarily recruited that much to that system you know because he was just here for a short period of time but um you know i think we have some really good players um especially on offense and some young, young players and, and we also have some areas that you know that's why we're here yeah because you had options lane i mean you could have gone to a number of places why was Ole miss the most appealing i just i, I probably had i not been at alabama you know, that was probably really what kicked it over just in my head of knowing all right i'd been here for a summer with my brother so i'd seen the area you know basically knew what it was kind of like to live here you know spending time with him and then um you know just you know we were at alabama three years and lost two regular season games you know in three years and they were both told miss so i think that was in my head of saying okay hey it's not like we've got to go to a place that's never done it you know this is whatever four or five years removed i believe from from the Sugar Bowl. So, um, you know, Coach Freeze did it here before and wasn't 30 years ago or something. So 
um, just looked at, hey, it can, be, it can be done again. You brought up Chris, and he just got a promotion, man. He just moved on to the Browns. He's the defensive line coach for the Cleveland Browns. Started with Freeze at, God, Arkansas State, then moved over to Ole Miss, uh, then goes to San Francisco. Of course you're proud of your brother, but assess Lane Kiffin. Assess your brother, the coach. He's a really good coach. I mean, I had him before all that at USC. I think he's a GA, and then and then gave him, you know, made him the defensive coordinator at Florida Atlantic in our one year there. You know, went from three wins the year before to eleven and three, and you know, went way up in every every defensive category, and I think maybe even led the country in turnovers or something. So um, he did a great job. He just, you know, wanted to try the NFL thing. You know, I, he was torn because if he would have stayed, he, you know. You know, he'd be a coordinator somewhere somewhere big now. Um, so um, he wanted to try the NFL thing, so he went out there and he played great on defense there, and, and now he's got a, you know, some good players, some really good players where he's going to Cleveland and you know, an opportunity to run the room by himself. So um, and I think in a few years he'll probably be a defensive coordinator in the NFL. You've done both. You've been in the NFL and in college. What's the biggest difference? I know it's changed. Both games have changed. But in your opinion, day-to-day operationally, what's the biggest difference? Oh, I mean, it's it's night and day. I mean, it's it's now become. I've, I say it now. It's two different sports. It's not even two different leagues. Yeah, I, baseball and basketball. I mean, it's not even the officiating. You know, the the how you play because of you know the tempo now in college, and you can't really do that on a consistent basis in the NFL because you don't have enough players on game day. Um, so, and it's why it's why you see people all the time. You know you may be a great NFL coach or coordinator or something and you come to college and, you know, you're lost, especially it can happen on defense. Well, we have both sides, you know, because it's just a totally different sport. And it always used to be college was going to copy the NFL. College was behind the NFL. You know, when I used to be at USC, we'd go down and spend, you know, uh, a couple of weeks with John Gruden sitting in all his meetings there and learning that and bringing it to USC. And now, it, now it's gone the other way. These NFL teams actually come down to us. You know, um, you know, even at FAU, and so uh, because they're, the NFL is now copying college, which is backwards from what it's always been. Well, last one here. Fans are excited, as they should be, to be expected. But for you, what are your expectations for 2020? I know you're not going to say, "Oh, we got to do this, this, and this," but what are your expectations, and how does that tough schedule to start, at least, affect those expectations? Well, I, I want I want fans to, you know walk out of the game and say, you know what, this team plays really physical, all right, they're fun to watch, um, and they're coached really well. You know, they manage situations really well. Um, they're really prepared, um, very organized and disciplined. And so, and then however many, many wins that creates, it does. But that's what, to me, <clears throat> what coaching is, you know, especially in the first year that people see over just wins and losses. Okay, hey, these guys are really improving they're getting better, and they're coached really well. He's Ole Miss football coach Lane Kiffin in his first year as Ole Miss head football coach. Thank you for doing this, man. I appreciate it, and we'll talk again. All right, guys. Have a great week. That was Ole Miss head football coach Lane Kiffin. This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Ben on Twitter. He's Colin Brister at Colin Brister. If you haven't already, subscribe, rate, review Talk of Champions in iTunes. And when you do, it doesn't matter what you say, as long as it's five stars. Also available on SoundCloud and Spotify. Just simply search Talk of Champions. I write for the Ole Miss Spirit, omspirit.com, and affiliate of 247 Sports. Talk of Champions is powered in part by the Lamar, Oxford's first and only traditional neighborhood in Cheney's Pharmacy. Oxford, Mississippi is one of the most beautiful towns in the entire country. 
and there's no place quite like Oxford in the spring. Maybe you've thought about moving to Oxford, but haven't taken the plunge yet. If you're in the market, you need only look in one place, the Lamar, Oxford's first and only traditional neighborhood, and an innovative new development from John Welty Realty. Located just up North Lamar, blocks from the Oxford Square, the Lamar offers 48 acres that connects homes and restaurants with arts and businesses. Only a few steps from your front door, a grocery store, brewery, shops, and other amenities. Build out on these modern open concept homes is happening, so get in now. Call them today at 662-816-2782. You can also reach out via email, hello at thelamarms.com. The Lamar, Oxford's first and only traditional neighborhood and proud sponsor of Talk of Champions. When spring arrives, you know what comes with it. Allergies, stuffy nose, cough, sore throat. So there's no better time to assess whether or not you're getting everything you need from your pharmacy. And the only place to go is Cheney's Pharmacy. Cheney's offers prescription synchronization, immunizations, compounding, a two-lane drive-through, and available hours that ensure your needs are met on your own time. Cheney's also accepts all third-party insurance. Cheney's is a locally-owned pharmacy that has been in Oxford over 40 years, and it provides the best customer service out there. So give them a call, 662-234-7221. You can visit them at 501 Bramlett Boulevard. That's right off of University Avenue. They're open 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Monday through Saturday, 1 p.m. to 9 p.m. on Sundays. You can find them online at chaneyspharmacy.com. Chaney's Pharmacy, much more than just a pharmacy. All right, Colin, opening day for Ole Miss Baseball is Friday, 4 p.m. Central Time. Doug Nikhazy, Reed Detmers, it's going to be a dynamic pitching performance. Chase Palmer of RebelGrove.com, got to give him credit, it's my butt. He put up an interesting stat. We've talked at length about how difficult Ole Miss's schedule is. Opening with top-ranked Louisville is tough enough, but ECU, we could go through the whole thing. It's tough. That's what you need mm-hmm. to know. But when you look at these numbers, <laughs> you'll realize how tough it actually is. So Chase, he put it up, I think on his message board. A buddy of mine sent it to me. It's great stuff. D1 starting pitcher rankings. Doug Nikhazy. Number 23 in the country. Gunnar Hoagland, 30th. Ole Miss's opponents this season in the top 30. Hancock of Georgia's number one. Detmers is number two, who they face on Friday. Number three is Lacey from Texas A&M. Rocker is number four. Jen from Mississippi State, number six. Burns from Auburn, number eight. Hickman from Virginia, number 10. Moldzinski from USC, number 12. Henry, LSU, number 16. Miller, who they face on Saturday, is number 22. Burleson from ECU, number 25, and Wilcox of Georgia, number 27. Who boy, Doug you know Gunner, put on your big boy pants. Get ready, boys. You know what's funny about that? I was just counting as you went through it. Ole Miss beat six of those guys last year. Wow. So, yeah, it's they beat Hancock. They beat uh, the guy, the other guy at Georgia. Wilcox. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, beat Lacey. They didn't beat Ginn. Uh, beat Tanner Burns. I can't remember all of them. I think they – no, they beat Burleson. Anyways, so they've had some success against those guys. But, yeah, Gunner, Doug, you might not want to give up many runs because I figure those those guys improve over their careers. And also, a little bit of a different offense last year than the one that is coming yeah, back this year. A little bit. <laughs> yes, Ole Miss has got great pitching. Doug Nikhazy, Gunner Hoagland. You like Derek Diamond's potential. You like Austin Miller. Taylor Broadway's taking a step. Greer Holson's back. That's a fun story. You're still replacing six of your starting nine. Really, seven of your starting nine. There's going to be a drop-off offensively. Even mm-hmm. if Jerrion Ely hits the ground running, who's to say Peyton Chatagnier doesn't hit the ground running, right? You're not yeah. going to have every single freshman hit. Look at the best class 
at the time that Ole Miss signed in 2016, Greg Kessinger, Thomas Dillard, they were terrible their first year. If Ole Miss is going to hit, Justin Bench has to hit. Tim Elko has to hit finally. Yes. Has to. I think Hayden Dunhurst is going to hit. I do too. But again, just assuming that freshmen are going to produce, you'll get yourself in trouble doing that. Anthony Servideo, he's probably going to hit. He hit well enough last year. Not going to really ever hit for a lot of power, but get on base. Tyler Keenan, he's going to hit. But Kevin Graham, you got to hit. You got to be able to show you can hit lefties. I don't -hmm. think Kevin Graham is starting on Friday against Detmers. They'll want to get as many writings into the lineup as possible. So Ben Van Cleve will start at DH. Peyton Chatagnier is going to start, be it at second base or left field. And if he's not in left field, it's Justin Bench in left field or right field, depending on where he wants to put Tim Elko. I'm talking about Mike Bianco, because Kel Baker is probably starting at first base. I was going to ask you on Bench. I knew he had been playing outfield, but from what I'd heard, it had been mostly center. Do you think they feel confident putting him in a corner if they need to? I think they feel more confident putting him in a corner. Okay. A corner is easy for a guy like Justin Bench. Well, sure. Bench. But if you're an infielder that's never played it, I mean, I think it does take a little bit of an adjustment. Well, I think he shagged fly balls and stuff like that. It won't be him <laughs> running out there blind. I think they feel uh, more comfortable with Peyton Chatney at second base because that's their future second baseman and then ultimately their shortstop. He'll be their shortstop next year. Yeah. I yeah, assume Servideo is going to get drafted high enough to leave. Yes, he is. Okay. Uh-huh. Then Chatney is your shortstop. Yeah, he absolutely is. So um, put him at second Connor base because Justin Bench can play anywhere. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I'm completely with you. It's going to be interesting. The uh, the thing I think that is, is a key besides Elko is I think either Van Cleve done or Van Cleve Leatherwood Baker. One of those guys have to have has to have a big year, and I don't mean like hits 280 with six home runs. No, oh I mean no, like, no no no! You're talking Brian Petway. Yeah, you got to come in like play like 320. Like somebody's got to come in and not be here next year because they had such a good year that they yeah. get drafted. Yeah, I could get on board with that. I think the guy that has the highest upside for that is Kale. I can buy that. I can buy that for sure. I, there, that, there's power there. The, look, he had a tough fall, but from all accounts, the, the spring has been pretty good. I'll say this about Kale Baker. First of all, great dude. The yeah. first interview I did of all of these stories I've written about baseball since freaking October. <laughs> Kale was awesome. So you're going to like him. But if Ole Miss had their entire team line up and said, pick the one guy that can absolutely smash. The minute you lay eyes on Kel Baker, oh yeah, that guy, that guy. But he's a line drive kind of guy. That's his approach. He wants to play gap to gap. And he's been really good in the preseason. Was not good in the fall. Terrible. Leatherwood wasn't good in the fall. Van Cleve was fine. But Juco's are a lot like freshmen when they come in. There's volatility there. Takes them some time to adjust. So you don't really put too much stock into what they do in the fall. Just wait till their first preseason practices. But you're right. If Kale Baker doesn't hit, maybe he gets a two-week, three-week, maybe a month run as a starter, but he doesn't hit well enough. Well, then you're going to go to the well. Hayden Leatherwood, your turn. Van Cleve, (laughs) your turn. He does have options, and it stands to reason that at least a couple of these newcomers that have been so good in some combination of the fall or the preseason will also be good in season. Somebody is bound to rise up. There are going to be a few that falter. There always is. But who's to say not even a Connor Walsh doesn't step up? We don't even talk about that kid. It's one of the most yep. decorated kids that they signed, but he was so bad in the fall and hadn't been very good in the preseason. He's Tate Blackman all over again. He's going to be so good next year. But who's to yeah. say he didn't just suddenly start hitting? You just never know with baseball. Projecting this stuff is impossible. That's why it's unfortunate that they open with Louisville.
<laughs> no, you're exactly right. You uh, you made me laugh when you were describing Baker because like in April, if he's hitting, I'm gonna like I'm gonna be an advocate for him to be the leadoff hitter like I was Diller last year. Maybe we can get that one passed. Oh boy, there's no <laughs> way. Thomas Dillard was just small enough, even though he was basically a college football fullback, but he was just small enough to where when Mike Bianco put his eyeballs on him and did the eyeball test, he could say, okay, maybe, maybe, well, this doesn't look like a leadoff hitter. Because for him, a leadoff hitter looks like Anthony Servidio. <laughs> Which is why he will lead off 56 games this year. Every single game. <laughs> I don't even want to talk about anybody else leading off. You and I could talk to her blue in the face this year. In May, we come on to do a talk of champions we're in the dog days of summer. Football is so far away. Basketball recruiting and basketball season, it's done. It's just baseball and looking ahead to the season in football or SEC media days. God, that'll be fun. But we'll be talking baseball, and you'll go, you know what, Ben? You know what I want? I want Kel Baker to lead off. And I'm going to stop you, and I'm going to say, Colin, there's no point to this discussion. No point whatsoever, because well, Anthony Servideo is starting every game as the team's leadoff hitter, unless he hits yeah. like a buck eighty. Yeah, he still may lead off then. Yeah, uh -oh. still, yeah. yeah. Oh, no, God. then Jerion Ely leads off. Well, fair enough. Yeah, that too. What if? Yeah, I will say that if if there's a number two leadoff hitter, I think he's it. Right? I think. I think so. Here's something yeah. for you. You and I are, are of the same belief when it comes to lineup construction. Mm -hmm. We believe. No matter what, you put your very best hitter batting second. I am not saying that right now or at any point this season, Jerry on Ely will be Ole Miss's best hitter. But I could easily see, if you said, Ben, I can see it in the future. I know it'll happen. Jerry on Ely will be their best hitter in two years. Okay, I could buy it. I could buy mm -hmm. it. Mike Bianco doesn't believe like you and I believe. And yet, because Jerion Ely is like Servideo, and he wants his top two guys in the lineup to be able to bunt for some reason, <laughs> he could stumble into his best hitter batting second. Well, we could get he, uh, what we want in a very convoluted way, but get what we want. He accidentally got the leadoff hitter right last year at the end of the year. <laughs> yeah. so. hey, well, man, Thomas Dillard also campaigned for it. Yeah, my favorite thing was uh, Mike told him if he stole 20 bases, he'd let him lead off the game. I'm like, why does that what, – in what yeah. world does that matter? Yeah, why was that the benchmark? I mean, why 20? 19? Am I not uh, getting to lead off at 19 stills? Yeah, why God, the arbitrary I, number? I, I cringed every time Mike would tweet the lineup out and Dillard would be lower than, like, second. Because, mm. like, there'd be random games where he'd be the number two hitter, and I'd be like, oh, thank God, Mike accidentally got it right. And then Benny would be back in the four hole. And I'm like, well, yeah, there it is. That, that's what I expected. I would cringe every time. The ones that really um, needled me pretty good, Keenan batting sixth. They uh, they played a game to go to the College World Series. And Tyler Keenan hit sixth and Ryan Olenek hit second. <sighs> Ryan Olenek like was such an easy guy to deal with. Just a very chill dude. Great dude like Ryan Olenek. Not an impact hitter. He's got an empty bat. It's singles and maybe a couple of doubles, but mostly it's just singles. He's never going to walk. He's not going to hit for any kind of power. And yet every single game, second or fifth. I don't think there was would have been any world where Thomas Dillard and Tyler Keenan would hit below him in my lineup. But they pay Mike a lot of money, and they don't pay me any. So, you know, is what it is. Oh, yeah, and Mike's awesome. I I've actually had a good time with Mike so far this year. He's been great. Been accessible. He's been a lot chiller. Now yeah. we'll see if that we'll see if that carries over. Oh, it's not going to last.
<laughs> you think they lose two or three this weekend and it's it's back to old times. Uh, yeah. I'll let Parrish ask all the questions. Parrish just takes Mike Bianco's bullets and they bounce right off of him. Others on this beat don't take it very well. I'm not going to name names, Rippy. Don't take this very well. Rip, Rip's had a uh, few interactions with Mike that uh, have not gone well. Yeah, we need to have a Mike Bianco story time. We do need to do that at some point. We uh, we have when I did that podcast with him, we have one about once a week. Mike and Rippy, that's a fun dynamic. About the same height. Well, yeah. Um, okay, so looking at the lineup, knowing what we know, if you had the Sharpie to fill out the lineup card, how would you do it? Okay, so you're going to laugh at me. I actually would lead Servideo off because I don't think there's actually another option um, to replace him. I would too. Now, yeah, so I, I would put Keenan second. Well, I, I would, take that back. I take that back. I wouldn't because I would lead off Jerry Neely. Same dynamic, though. Keenan second. I'll be honest with you because we, we've said all offseason this kid's got a hit or it's not going to matter. I'd hit Tim Elko third. Um, just throw him in there. Let's let's roll. Fourth kind of gets a little tough there, right? Yeah. Baker? Baker fourth, maybe? Maybe Ben Van Cleve. They're four or five, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, six, I go Hayden Dunhurst because I believe in him. Yep. Seventh, I go Jerry and Ely. Nope, bench. Yeah, okay, okay. So you're going to put Ely and Chatney eight, nine? Well, I'm putting okay. Ely leading off. Okay. Sure. I'm putting Anthony Servideo at eight and nine Chatney. Okay. That's certainly fair against the left-hander that they're going to open up against. I value Anthony Servideo's bat heavily against a right-handed pitcher. There are some questions that are legitimate against left-handers. Yeah, but they're facing a lefty on opening day. Exactly. I agree. That's why I would lead off Jerry and Ely. Do you think Ely is an everyday guy right now, or he's no. in because it's a lefty? No, he's in because he's a lefty. Okay, so you don't think Jerry on Ely starts on Saturday? If he doesn't start on Saturday, he'll be in on Sunday. Okay. They really like him, and you have to give him a chance. You can't immediately put him behind the eight ball against right-handers. Him walking in and just deciding he's the starting center fielder. Yeah, um, that's great. Yeah, on day one, and then like by April, he's going to be something else. Look, I'm going to be honest. I'm a Jerry on Ely stand for baseball. I know that y'all are all obsessed with his football stuff. He's better in baseball. And when you watch him scrimmage, even if you're just watching them defensively, he catches your eye. And I think guys like that, there's something to him. Now, he may be like Gray and Thomas and struggle his first year. But even if he does, he'll provide, at the very least, real value defensively in center field because he's a very good instinctual center fielder. He doesn't need a lot of refinement out there. He knows no. how to play gap to gap, and he can cover up for Kevin Graham, for example. And I know Mike called him average okay, but if he's calling him average okay, Kevin Graham, in left field on Tuesday. Yeah, and in fairness to Kevin, he came in at third base as a third baseman. We probably should let him play there. But he can't play third base. You've seen him more than me. I don't know if he can or can't. When you immediately uh, get moved off your primary position. Well, Keenan is there, to be fair. Doesn't matter. They could have very easily rotated those guys at third base in DH. But Kevin Graham's got to be a big part of this offense. He's got to hit. Ten home runs, freshman All-American. He needs to be in the lineup. And at some point, doesn't he have to prove he can hit lefties? Yeah, that's how, you know, that's, uh, look, I've said Tim Elko at the plate is one of the biggest keys to success this year. I think the number two thing from an offensive perspective is, can Kevin Graham and Anthony Servideo stay on the field against left-handed pitching? Um, because if you start taking Anthony Servideo off against left-handed pitchers, well, your your defensive lineup just got a whole lot worse because he's dynamic at shortstop. So I think that's one of the bigger keys of the season if those two can stay on the field against left-handed pitching. 
So what did you think of Lane Kiffin? It seems just like that's who he is, right? Yeah. His personality. Yeah. It yep. is what it is. Yep. Uh, I don't know. Oldest fans are excited, so that's fun to see. That's all that matters. He's a very chill dude. It was interesting. Every football question I had gave me pretty much the same answer. It's too early. I at least thought there would be an answer about watching film on Matt Corral and John Rice Plumley. Guess not. Uh, he's been busy, man. Been I do busy. appreciate that he straight up acknowledged that, like Mike Bianco said, those kids, John Rice, Jerry on, they're baseball players this spring. And he likes that they play two sports. Now, he could be just spitting out some coach speak, sure. I take it as genuine. Because you've heard that opinion from a number of different people. These days, the youth of this country, the youths of this country, the youths, the youths of this country, specialize in only one sport to their detriment. I don't know if John Rice is going to have much of a role immediately. I think initially it'll be pinch running and defensive replacement. But I did like hearing that from Lane. And you need to have that kind of attitude because those two players, regardless of what you truly feel, and I'm going to take him at face value that that's how he feels. But let's just assume that it does kind of bother him that they're playing baseball. You have to take that approach publicly because these guys are so important for whether or not you succeed in year one and year two. And it doesn't really matter if he likes it or not, because uh, the conversation with Jerry on Ely, that if he didn't want him to play baseball, it would end in about five seconds. Yeah. Jerry, I said, all right, cool. Well, uh, I'm going to go play baseball now for good. <laughs> I, I am done. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you I for would, your time. I don't know much about John Rice. I know that Jerry on Ely was going to play baseball. I mean, my God, he told me he felt like it was home when he was back at baseball. It's like, dude, you're an SEC uh, freshman, all-freshman guy. I wonder if he's going to be nervous when he takes the field on Friday. No. I don't know. He played in front of 100,000 people a few months ago. No. uh Uh-uh. No. You don't think so? No. uh Uh-uh. Not at all. Like I said, I'm a Jerry on Ely stand for baseball, but I was by myself one-on-one talking to him. He is cocky as heck. Love that. I do too. He's a very polite dude. Um, couldn't have been more respectful. And he had no reason to be respectful to me because I'm a clown. He's cocky. And he knows he's good at baseball. And he talks like a guy that knows what his approach is supposed to be. Short to the ball. Not try to do too much. Be that defensive dynamo. I think Ole Miss fans are going to love Jerry Neely, the baseball player. And I know Ole Miss fans in general immediately default to football. It's like with Terrence Davis, who was balling out and is now the first real NBA presence Ole Miss has had since God can remember. They were saying, oh, God, he'd be a great receiver. He would have been. Yeah, he balled out in the Miss Al game. But that's yeah. Ole Miss fans. You can't appreciate a player for the sport that he loves and he's good in. It's always, oh, I wonder if Murphy Holloway could have been our tight end. <laughs> well, he's just a really good SEC forward. He's one of the best forwards to ever play at Ole Miss. Production yeah. wise, of course, no one ever said uh, Marshall Henderson could be a good something in football, but yeah. <laughs> the answer to the question about Murphy playing tight end was answered in about one day in Ravens training. Yeah. <laughs> and I love Murph. But oh, I do too. He's a good friend of the pod. I'm gonna have him back on just so I can ask about that. Yeah, he does have a great story. I'm gonna let him ask. Yeah, yeah. But the Ole Miss fans love to do that. They love to do it. So immediately, when you hear about John Rice and Jerry on going and playing baseball, oh, how is that going to interrupt spring practice? And Jerry on Ely's a really good baseball player. So if you only look at him through the lens of Jerry on Ely, the baseball player, you're going to have a lot of fun because that mm-hmm. kid can play. He can ball. The power's still developing, but if he ever gets there with pop, you're talking first-round pick in two years. 
He's a right-handed J.B. Woodman is what I think he is. And better defensively. Yeah, and J.B. was a stud defensively. Yeah, yeah I think I agree. Yeah. I was talking to somebody about this on Tuesday, actually, and um, they brought up the Jerion Kyler Murray comp, which is so easy because they play football and baseball. Here's the difference. Jerion's a running back, first and foremost. He's not going to be a first-round pick in football. Running backs have been devalued in the NFL. Very seldom these days do running backs get picked in the first round. Derrick Henry, the most productive running back in the NFL this year, second-round pick. So let's assume that Jerion ultimately ends up being a second-round pick, but he's a first-round pick in baseball. The quicker path to the money is not in the NFL. It's in baseball. And, you know, the thing that I've noticed with with college baseball players, like you look at a Bregman and a Swanson, they don't stay down there real long, much longer. They're coming up quick now. It's all about the kids. So Jerrion could get money quick and he'll have a longer shelf life. I mean, first off, it's a minor miracle he's at Ole Miss. Um, Everything had to fall right for them. Yeah, I mean, it's a minor miracle the kids showed up. Well, it's a minor miracle that they got both Ely and Dunhurst. And Gunnar Hoagland. Yeah, Ole Miss... (laughs) Last year with Gunner had the highest ranked kid in his class make it to campus and not go in the draft. This right. year, the top ranked kid of the draft to make it to campus, Jerion Ely. Number two or three, maybe four, right behind Ely is Dunhurst. They got both of them. That's a lot of draft luck. And for a while there, wasn't almost getting absolutely hammered in the draft. Yeah, almost was getting losing guys that like they shouldn't have lost. Like, it wasn't their fault, but they were losing not first-round guys. Yeah, it's not their fault. No, not their fault at all. But That's just bad yeah, luck. They were, they were getting crappy luck, yeah. Um, and what was happening a lot is they were draft. They were picking up these guys that weren't highly ranked, and then their senior year or something, they blow, they would blow up. They got a little lucky with Ron Rollison from that regard. And yet Gunnar Hoagland makes it. <laughs> Jerry Unigley makes three it. Million. Hayden Dunhurst makes it. Hayden Dunhurst's number was like 1.4, 1.5 million. And he knew he was going to get taken in like the third, fourth, or fifth. Mm-hmm. And teams started calling, but they tried to start negotiating at 950. And basically the representation for Hayden Dunhurst said, no, man, this conversation starts at like 1.4. <laughs> That's why he dropped. It has nothing to do with talent. If you wonder right. why guys like that drop, it's because of the number that they have compared to how organizations value them in the draft. Mm-hmm. And I guarantee yeah. you, right now, whichever team, handful of teams that at the time truly valued Hayden Dunhurst, they're going to be kicking themselves. Ole Miss yeah. fan, consider yourself blessed that not only Jerry Ely is here, but Hayden Dunhurst. Real quick, the uh, Los Angeles Dodgers wanted him badly, and they drafted in the first round the Mississippi State ace pitcher JT Gannon and let both of those kids walk. Dodgers pretty good organization, but I feel like they're going to regret that here in a few years. Trey LaFleur, they made yeah. a real push for him. Yeah. And we're not even talking enough about Trey LaFleur. He's going to have some kind of role. He's not going to pitch. <laughs> but he's definitely got a bat that's going to play a little bit. I think early oh. he'll draw some midweek starts. I was going to ask that about pitching. He, he he throws with his left hand. I didn't know if they're going to tr- try because he throws with his left hand to do anything with that. No, no. Mm-mm. He's hitting. <laughs> he's hitting. Wes Burton, he's pitching. Oh, I got a good hypothetical for you. Over under five and a half combined at bats for Doug Nikhazy and Gunnar Hoagland. Under. Under? You don't think that's a thing at all? Nope. What about, okay, over under one and a half? Under. 
<laughs> it's quite simple. Are they better than the 13th, 14th hitter on the roster? Are you better than Trey LaFleur? Probably close with Gunner. Um, Nikhazy, no. Mm, Gunner didn't have a good fall. Did he not? Mm-mm. LaFleur okay. is better than them. Okay. If Gunnar Hoagland was so special with the bat, you don't think Mike Bianco would have gotten him into a game by now? <laughs> yeah, he can look the part in batting practice, but He does. On. God, he does. He's a pitcher, and he's added a slider. <laughs> and some spin rate. Derek Diamond, he's a two-way player. He ain't hitting. Are no. you better than the 13th, 14th hitter? And and, and the thing, too, and I don't, I've never thought about it like this. Even if they are, like, say they're the 12th or 13th hitter, right? Are you really going to send them up there against like Lipscomb at a midweek game and get Doug Nikhazy hit in the finger and then I'm cussing and yelling on yeah. the message board? Yeah, <laughs> and Mike Bianco actually mentioned that, the risk-reward. You're not better than necessarily those 13th and 14th guys, and it's your ace pitcher and your co-ace pitcher. You really want to run the risk of them going up there and getting hit in the wrist? Yeah. What's the point? Because is there really that much of a upside to Doug Nikhazy or Gunnar Hoagland at the plate Compared to, you know, the starting nine for potentially Friday. It's not official. That's me guessing. It's educated opinion, but it's still an opinion. Could be completely wrong. And if it's wrong, hey, I was wrong. I'm wrong a lot. <laughs> Let's just take that starting nine, as you know it, and then go to the 13th man. After that lineup, Kevin Graham, Cade Sammons, Leatherwood, LaFleur, LaFleur, Ben Gilbert, yeah, Knox LaPosser. We forget about him. So you see what I'm saying? No, you're right. You're right. The thing you're most watching for in Ole Miss Sports this weekend is what? Man, it's opening day. Of um, course look, it is, you baseball I mean, homer. You're, look, I, I love baseball. I love college baseball. But Ole Miss's game erupts a big deal. I'm not even going to pretend it's not. I'll be watching that one uh, with, with investment because, man, that thing's close with four minutes left, and we got something to talk about. I might be going to Lexington this weekend. There you go. There you go. You brought them some good luck when you went to Missouri, so I think you got to go. Thinking about it. I applied for a credential. You ever been? No. Okay. The problem is I cover baseball and basketball by myself for the Ole Miss Spirit. I've got to go to opening day. Mm-hmm. The game is at 1 p.m. on Saturday. I'd have to do the thing where I cover the baseball game. And for a lot of you, you go, oh, boo-hoo. Boo-hoo, bud. <laughs> it can be tiring like any job. I'm not complaining, but it's hard to uh, cover the game on Friday, 4 p.m. first pitch. Maybe drive three hours after the game, then drive the rest Saturday morning, then drive back, get back in time so I can cover a Sunday baseball game. Ben, you do have an intern. I do have an intern. That's right. <laughs> Forgot. I'm just saying. News on that at a later date. Terrence <laughs> Davis might be in attendance at Kentucky. Oh, wow. A little tidbit for you guys. Yeah. Should be in the uh, Rising Stars game. It's a shame. Travesty. Um, Travesty. The Raptors get screwed in that lot, but another story for another day. Terrence should absolutely be in that game. He's having one hell of a year. This has been Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit. Ben on Twitter. He's Colin Brister at Colin Brister. If you haven't already, subscribe, rate, review Talk of Champions in iTunes. And when you do, doesn't matter what you say, as long as it's five stars. Also available in SoundCloud and Spotify. Just simply search Talk of Champions. I write for the Ole Miss Spirit, omspirit.com, an affiliate of 247 Sports. My thanks to Lane Kiffin. We'll be back next week. Thanks, man. Absolutely. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. 
Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.